Hello friends, I'm your host Chris Thrill, I'm a former Royal Marines Commando, I've adventured for better and sometimes worse across 80 countries on all seven continents. Welcome to the Bought the T-Shirt Podcast. Jules, how are you, brother? Very good, mate. I feel I actually feel like I'm saying hello to a real Viking. Have, have, have you? Do you know your ancestry? Yeah, I mean, it, it kind of goes back that way. Um, so I've I've got um, some Scottish and Irish. So I'm assuming that with uh, with the Scottish ancestry, it's uh, it, it it came from that because uh, you know. Everywhere up in, uh, you know, Northumbria, obviously got, um, raided. got raided. And I'm probably a, a product of that, which I'm, I'm happy to, you know. But he yeah. says whilst drinking out of Thor's hammer as a, as a cup of tea. <laughs> well, funnily enough, you're talking to a Viking too. Oh, awesome. Yeah. So it's, it's those blue eyes. Well, thrall means serf or, or yeah. slave we 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 made up the lower caste of the viking culture oh. well, so seager seager means man of the sea oh wow so which is uh you know also uh viking if you want to if you want to look at it that way so that's the direct uh, interpretation of that name so so that, that's cool yes and um they were good at the old seafaring, weren't they? They had methods that we probably don't even un- methods of navigation that we don't even understand today. Yeah, yeah, and the ship's pretty cool as well. So that was one of the good things about filming Vikings was that I actually got to row properly. You know, so it was like you know, it's um, being on a, a real Viking longship was a, was a pretty amazing. Yes, and um, okay, question then because I watched the documentary. So the Vikings, they're there. They obviously have the sail up when when they when they've got a wind, as as say good sailors always do. But when there's no wind, then they get on the oars, don't they? And they will yeah. they will row across the North Sea. Um, I heard that everyone they sit on a chest and they can have their personal possessions or you know weapons in the chest. That's correct. Yeah. And when it's time to sleep, they just lie down on the deck and sleep. Yeah, that's it. There's no room for anything else. So there's no room for luxuries. I mean, what, what the chest would be covered in, like a big sheep's skin, you know, uh, or something like, you know, a big fur, and that would be your bed and your blanket. So th- that would be it. And if it, if, it, if it was wet, you slept with a wet blanket, you know. So and I can't imagine there was much room in those chests because there's no room on board, really. They're, they're not as big as you as you think they are, they're, you know. And that's why they were so adaptable because they could they could move about and they could go down rivers and you know stuff like that. So you know, maneuverable. And when they got to a to a you know like a waterfall or rapids, they they pick the boat up, put it on their shoulders, and carry it, wouldn't they? I'm not sure whether that is historically correct. I'd have to I'd have to check that, but that would be pretty cool if it did. So I know that they showed it in uh, Vikings with Floki using uh, winches and stuff like that. So. But yeah, I've I I did you know the bit where they're they're pulling them across logs. I know I know they've done that. So, but yeah, picking them up. Oh, I'm not too sure about that. Depends on yeah. the size of the crew. <laughs> so, you're in. We were just discussing this earlier, weren't we? Vikings Valhalla. Yeah, that's a new one. It comes out um 2022 now, which is a shame. 
because I think that's uh, delayed by COVID. Yeah. So, not, uh, so I think they were they were aiming for um, like winter 2021, but uh, it's it's looking at 2022 now. So, but hopefully they'll crack on and uh, you know and, and and get it out there. Is that the same production company that made Vikings? Yeah, hundred percent. So yeah. it's it's the same same director, um, the 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 writer of um, Die Hard, Jeb Stewart, which is um, pretty cool. So a lot of kudos there. So um, uh, anyone that can write the the best Christmas movie of all time is uh, is is all right in my books. And wh- which one is that? The writer of Die Hard. So he, oh, he's so, right. sorry. Yeah. Die Hard, yes, with um, Bruce Willis. Is it? That's right. Yeah, God, memory gets a bit hazy, doesn't it? With when when you look back and think Die Hard, what that came out, what bloody uh, almost thirty years ago? Uh, oh, certainly yeah, I, I guess I'd go with. Oh my God! Right, okay, so this would be really bad at, at pub quiz right now, wouldn't I? Well, we both would. So let's have a look. Die Hard. That must have been what eighty eight, eighty nine, maybe. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I've got my phone right here. You've got your computer, we're both, but we're both using it. So we could we could cheat and look it up. Yeah. We, I, I, that'll I, be I, it now. That'll be the subject of the podcast. That, 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 that yeah, people will just about, be correcting we'll talk, us. We'll all talk about Bruce Bruce Willis in, in, instead of Jules. <laughs> no, that's it. It's done bother me. It's long as people are talking. I don't think my uh, longevity as a podcast host would be that. <laughs> would be that. <laughs> I don't think I'd get any more guests. But hey, let's talk about Penitent because you played Vladimir Berbatov. Uh, Barbatov. Barbatov. Oh, that was close. There we go. And <laughs> I, um, I was uh, deeply honoured to be able to be invited to the red carpet opening of Penitent by, by Mar- Martin Webster, um, the wonderful producer. Oh, there we go. Die Hard, 1988. I was spot on the money. <laughs> oh, my God. That was before I was born. Oh, my. So, yeah, that, that wasn't a bad yet. So, I'm still all right with the uh, with the pub quiz lot then. Yeah. So I'm happy now. <laughs> and I haven't ruined your podcast. And we'll, we'll, <laughs> well, we'll come on, on to the pub quiz because that featured in Fisherman's Friends, didn't it? Oh, yeah, it did. God, and yeah. um, another, oh, love, love that film. Absolutely loved it. And, of course, it's not far from us, film down in Cornwall. Um, I can, I, we'll, we'll, we'll come on to that. But, um, yes, yeah, so Penitent, I'm, I'm just trying to get it straight in my ageing memory. Were you one of the guys that, that shot the soldiers outside of the yeah, vehicle? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I, I, play, I played um, General Barbatov. So... And uh, yeah, he's a, a bit of a nasty guy. Like you know, he's responsible for all the ethnic, ethnic cleansing and stuff like that. So, and uh, yeah, so I, the, I shot the, uh, the civilians in the first scenes, and then uh, this is massive spoilers, here, isn't it? And then I wasn't very nice to the uh, the NATO forces, the United Nations forces. So, um, and I tell you what, Jules, right? Something changed in me when I become a father, right? I guess it does all of us. Yeah, me too. That scene with the little oh god, I'm just getting upset thinking about it. To think that that really went on. Yeah, yeah, that 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 that's that particular scene um, stayed with me for longer than most scenes because it it involved a, a child. 
Um, yeah. I think uh, that that stuck with me for like two or three weeks. It was horrible. Yeah. Um, for friends so, yeah. at home, in case you're wondering, the, the, the child has to watch his father get shot dead and, and then he's just crying on his corpse and it was just, oh, gosh. But, you know, Hollywood tends to hide these realities from us, don't they? And it's... it's Mar Martin, uh, Martin Webster doesn't. No. So, which is why we like working together. We like to uh, just... Uh, get the stuff out there and the thing is war is brutal you know and uh the the film is a, is about ptsd so it wouldn't have made any sense or had any impact unless you know we'd we'd actually shown the brutality of war and the, re the reality of war you know um far worse things happen in war than what i you know uh did as it as an actor in those scenes um although, so it, we just wanted to affect people and get the audience on our side and make them hate me, which is um, which is interesting, and it also make the characters hate me and give them a reason to have uh, PTSD. But it, also, it but it stuck with me as a person for a, a long time afterwards. I was I was having nightmares for like at least two or three weeks after doing that scene. I don't yeah. think um, it was as brutal in the film as it was when we filmed it, because when we filmed it, we actually had a squib, which is a, a, a miniature explosive device with filled with blood. So, and it, it, it literally sh shoots out everywhere. So, so when I pulled the trigger, bang, um, it actually, ex a squib went off. So in my head, even though, you know, you're an actor and you know, you're still firing, uh, you know, a blank firing pistol and everything else. As, as an actor, there's still part of your brain where you're pointing a gun at someone, pulling the trigger, and then the next thing, a huge gout of blood explodes from out of the, their back. You know, so I couldn't avoid my brain trying to make reality of that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and I, that so that was that was that's what stayed with me is the fact that I still did the actions and saw the reaction. So it's a really weird thing because I've done lots and lots of um, fight scenes in films. I've, I've killed people, been killed myself. You know, it's um, nothing really stayed with me. I suppose that this is one of the first ones that had involved um a child you know so yeah, I, yeah couldn't so that, I couldn't what i couldn't i just look, i'm not afraid of anything i think my history shows that but yeah i watched it the first time on you know on 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 the computer after i think martin sent me a copy and then at the premiere i just looked down at the ground I, I, it's just too awful um yeah oh gosh no, no, I'm not. No, I mean, I'm not saying the film was awful. I'm just saying that I just. No, no, no. I'm, I'm with you. I don't need to watch this again. And I just looked down for a minute until it was over, and then I looked, looked, yeah. looked back up. I'm glad. I'm. I'm. I'm kind of glad they left the, the blood out in a way, but I think it. No, I, I. I don't know. I would like to see an edit with with that back in because that was the shocking thing for me is seeing that visual side of it of the you know, but it kind of it it cut it cuts before the blood so. Um, which still has impact and doesn't make it, um, you know, like some films, films are gory for the sake of the gore. Yeah. So, and I'm glad that you're saying it still had the same amount of impact without oh, blood. Gosh. You know? <clears throat> it was a bit as well. I noticed the second time that I didn't, did I remember right in, in when I watched at the premiere, when these guys are, are being executed, these um, friends at home, there at UN, peacekeepers basically and the, the film is set in bosnia during the troubles mm. um 
Was it also that the the young boy was then running across the cornfield? Yeah. So he had like a double helping of traumatic. Yeah. So how uh, Barbatov works is whenever he commits any kind of atrocities, he always leaves a witness because he wants to create him his own urban legend. You know, so yeah. he wants he wants the people to fear him. So without uh, a witness to something that he's done that's really bad, who's to fit? Who, you know, how how is that 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 myth meant to then perpetuate? You know, so so he always leaves somebody alive, you know, and kind of um, enjoys that fact that he's going to he's going to leave somebody alive. Mm. And, uh, you know, so his his men are like dogs. They want to they want to just kill everything. But um, he's the logical one. He's the dangerous one. I think that's kind of an old military tactic, isn't it? You leave someone alive to go back to their troop and go, oh, my God, you don't you don't believe what's just happened sort of thing. Yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of old school as well um, for me growing up, I think. <laughs> like, so if, if, if um, you know, because yeah. I, I had an interesting um, experience growing up where I, I grew up in a really rough area. And, uh, and if, you, if you weren't on your toes, then, uh, you, you know, you, you got put on your ass, basically. So whenever um, something occurred, you'd want as many people to witness it as possible as a form of defence, like, uh, you know, for yourself. So it's like, <laughs> so, you know, you'd want as many people to, to witness it so that you didn't then get picked on or whatever afterwards so so that, that was interesting so yeah i've got i draw on with with the more brutal characters i, I drew on a, a lot of my um personal experiences you know yeah. so because I've, I've had a, a colorful life yeah well, feel free to say i mean i always say to my guests you know although it's i love these chats but essentially it's for the people watching at home that that they never you know, I get a lot because I'm ex-military. I get a lot of military guests, and and they lean towards the humble. If you know what I mean, and you know, I won't tell them that. And it's like, no, it's the other way around. It's just, just if you've got stuff that people won't have experienced, um, it's fascinating to hear. Well, co- colourful's enough. Yeah. Other words to use for, for what, my. What are you? Are you able to say what part of the country you? I can't, I can't picture your accent. Oh, I I. Um, I grew up in Kent and South London, but then I've I've moved to the West Country um, in my twenties, and I'm I'm now in Cornwall. And I suppose that working in this industry, you kind of um, you want to lose the the guttural side of of um, your native accent. So although I still sound like I'm from Kent, or like you know, I sound like I'm from London, I I don't sound like um, you know, when I go back um, to my my hometown or see any of my friends or anything, I, I go back to London. They all call me a carrot cruncher because my, my, you know I don't notice it that how much my accent has changed, but um, it, it has. This is my posh voice now. <laughs> it's like, it's like... I'm in I'm in the same boat. I I was born in Kent, South East London. Yeah, um, and then I moved to the West Country, but I was about six when we moved down here oh my no my might actually have been five and then there was this weird thing that when we started to become hairy teenagers uh, when we were at comprehensive all these kind of lads you'd grown up with started to take on this weird accent 
Yeah, yeah. right, boy. Yeah, get on, innit? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I just listened to him and thought, fucking, I don't ever want to speak like that. <laughs> so, no. But I will say, having lived in the Southwest now for, you know, best part of, well, on a, I've lived, I, I, there was one point in my life I'd lived most of it abroad, funny enough. Um, but now I think I've lived most of it in, in the Southwest and there is just a natural tendency to pick up on the local accent. Not that I'm saying anything wrong with that, but people say to me, God, you sound like so Jana. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm a sponge for accents. I find it fascinating. So, and a lot of the time, um, I think if, if I'm, if I'm out and I'm meeting a lot of people, new people and I find something they've just said, like really quite quaint or just, uh, intriguing or just it tweaks my ear bone I'll end up repeating it or whatever so people think I'm taking the mickey out of them but I'm not I'm genuinely fascinated by the fact that they pronounce words different you know so <clears throat> and depending on, on where they come from um my my ear listens and I try and retain it because I never know whether I'm going to play somebody that you know comes from whatever country they're from you know so um you know, I've been doing a lot of uh, American and um, dialects and, and stuff like that. But, so I'm, I'm fascinated by the, you know, they, the way they change the words and stuff like that. But even regionally as well, um, here in this country, we change so many words. And, uh, you know, from Kent, uh, the, the Kentish twang is, is quite kind of cockney, but they speak really fast. So they'll put, they'll say four words in the space of, like, you know, one word. So... <laughs> yes. You know, but it's a bit, it's a bit like down here. So when I first moved down and people be like saying, what was, what was some of the phrases that threw me? Um, like moving from South London to here threw me anyway, because people were saying good morning to me. And I was like, is this P PG or am I, am I swearing in this? What's, what's the hey, deal? Whatever, as it comes, it's fine. So, so when I first moved down, I remember like, you know, people saying good morning to me and I was like, what the fuck? Who, who's that? I don't know you. It's just really weird. And now I'm one of them going, morning, morning, all right? Like to complete strangers, it's, it's really funny. So it's funny when you take it back home. You, so you go, you know, you go back to Kent. And uh, so um, I've still got family in the Medway towns, which uh, I, that's a colourful area. Um, so that's resp partly responsible for my colourful past. And uh, so you're if you're walking home from, you know, being out or whatever, like 1 a.m., you'll get one like really uh, happy medway eye walking home or staggering. And, uh, and as you're walking past it, but oh, hey, mate, you having a good night? And all that, like, yeah, where, where you been? Blah, blah, And then you're like, oh yeah, yeah, be lucky. And then uh, you part ways. <clears throat> and then uh, yeah, the next bloke that walks past, because I've now adopted this West Country attitude that where I say hello to everyone. Uh, so the next bloke that walks past, I'm in that boat where I've just had, um, a little a little conflab with uh with a guy really friendly like a little bit drunk like me and i'm like all right mate how you doing and the next bloke goes fuck off <laughs> like you know and then and then literally wants to fight you it's so um so yeah it's it's, it's funny i've kind of lost a bit of my street wiseness i think and uh oh. but i'm a little little bit more innocent since moving to uh the west country because everyone's everyone's just um they're not guarded as much you know, as they are in, in big cities and stuff. Yeah, well, I live in a city, so I, I I have to be honest, I have to fight my temper sometimes when I'm out running. Yeah. 
and it's the morning so there's not many people around so there's someone at six you know seven o'clock say walking to work and you come up and you're like and they're just like that and you and it 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 it, it you know this is the example that, that that's been set for the next generation you know no no community no love no empathy no hiya you know morning and it's it's not everybody of course it's not but it but it is a lot of people now yeah that's why i, I, I choose to live rural um so that i know my neighbors you know stuff like this and there i do like that sense of community so i don't think i'd live in a city again um i'm happy to work in them and you know i enjoy visiting different cities and stuff like that but you know now i've now i've lived in the country um for for quite a few years i, I don't think i could ever change it's like um i, I like knowing the people that i'm, I'm going to see it went, you know being able to say hello to them and have a conversation and stuff and but uh but the downside to living where i live is you get you get a lot of tourists so in the summer you especially with uh covid all the all the locals are just playing hide from the tourists so you, oh, you're basically, I, I, yeah i'm familiar with it all you know um let's not go on about that but yeah i mean we we couldn't book anywhere well, obviously, no one could go abroad, so that was a yeah. no no goer. Um, I don't know if I'll ever be allowed abroad again. Actually, I've already been kicked off one uh, expedition that I should literally be on as we speak in uh, the Sahara. Right. Um, for for can we say you know for exercising my freedom to choose. Right. Um, but so we ended up camping in Cornwall for a week, which yeah. is I have no problem with that, except the zip on our tent bust on the first days to that yeah, yeah. um and yeah oh my god yes everyone like you know doing certain things in shops down there even though this was after the you know after you had and and yeah like i get it i i i, I get it well what i wanted to ask you is one thing i love not so much when you hear a professional um um God, um, I've forgotten what. What's it when you copy people's voices? What's that? You emulate. Yeah, no, the artist. You know, the, the almost like the comedian go on stage and they'll be. Uh, oh yeah, <laughs> we've both had a senior moment. So, yeah. um, like, was it Michael Howard? Mike Yarwood, wasn't it? it? Used to be brilliant. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Impressionist. Impressionist, yes. Also a painter. When you see the professional or, or, you know, the entertainers on telly, it's it's fascinating. But for me, it's when your mate does it and he's got yeah. it brilliantly and you're like, yes. And, you, and, and obviously in your business, you have to be able to take on accents and, um, you know. I'm, I'm not I'm not one. I'm happy with accents, but I tend to um, I tend to inhabit like, you know, do them when I'm in the shoot or in the in that mode. So. <clears throat> They're all still there, but I don't tend to like be able to just pull them out my pocket like for to to do an impression of of someone, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But um because I'm kind of a method in character actor, um I just I find an accent for for that individual character that I'm playing and then just keep hold of it. And then I tend to store them away afterwards. I just forget about them. So it's like um so yeah, I'm I'm not I get asked. I'll do this accent, do that accent. And it's like, uh, I've got, I, 
I don't, it's not how I work. So it's weird. So I can, you know, I can learn an accent in a day. Um, so I had to do Northern Irish for, um, for an audition and I'd, I'd never done it, but it's like that typical actor thing where you think, well, I'm good at accents. So I'll, I can do a general Irish, but I hadn't done Northern Irish. So I'll write it down and, and then, then ended up in front of a casting director and I had 24 hours and I was like, oh shit, I've got to learn Northern Irish in 24 hours. So, so I, I started working on that and I actually really enjoyed it. Really enjoyed it. So it's a great accent to do. So, um, so I went to the audition and then I turned up and to my horror, the casting director was Irish. Um, I was like, oh shit. <laughs> like, you know, it's like, what do I do now? So it was, um, it was a weird one. So I, I did, it's one of the, only times I asked for feedback on the accent because um, I'd learned it in 24 hours that she was Irish. And, uh, and she said, oh, you sounded like a, late, a native. It was no problem at all. Mm. So Can and, you give uh, us a, are you, are you up for giving us a demo? No, that's the thing. I don't do the, I don't do the demos. It's like, you know, it's, it's like, I, I'd have to, uh, yeah. I'd, have, I'd have to um, revisit. So I, I do a little Cornish, but the thing is with the Cornish stuff, um it's not as you hear it it's as you described it earlier like the kids in school almost it's like a faux cornish you know so um because I've, i was in doc martin and poldark and things like that and, and fisherman's friends that were all filmed down here so um and that, that that's funny because when you go i've been up for when i did the script read for poldark so so i was sat at the, the table with all of the actors and we were reading episodes one and two of poldark i think so it was pretty cool to be sat around a, a table with um, some acting royalty. And uh, so I was quite excited because the scripts were like this, like, you know, episode one and two, it's like quite a few hours of dialogue. And, and, and it's really enjoyable to, to um, put um, faces to the dialogue. Oh, and, yeah. uh, and I was thinking, you know, some people are using accents, some people aren't. And I, and I was like, no, I'm, I'm definitely going Cornish for this, you know? So, so I, I did my accent and I had a nice compliment afterwards uh, because um, a couple of the actors came up and said, oh, so you're the you're the proper Cornish man then. Like, and I was like, <laughs> no, no, I was born in Kent and grew up in South London. You know, so but I, was, I was like, but thanks. Good compliment. You know? so, but, I, you know, I, I tend to, to learn and forget. And then I, I store them away in a memory box somewhere. And then once I get another character on the pages of dialogue, that's when it will click back on again. Here we go, right back in the room. So tell us then, because this, this is the stuff that fascinates me, and, and I should say for our friends at home, Jules and I are going to be starring together in a film. Okay, I'm, I'm, I might have a bit part, but... <laughs> I, Man, it's all good. It's I'm going to dine out on it, believe me. Um, but before we come on to that, how is it... How, how, is, how do you find it learning lines... And when you're delivering them on set, is there kind of a leeway if if, if you get a, a word wrong and or does the director jump in and go, no, you, you should have said this? Or, or do, it, all, it all depends on the shoot. Um, so so learning lines, well, I'll, I'll do them in order. So learning lines is just a life skill. It's just something that um, you just do. You know, it just... Um, it's like anything, like, you know, you were in the military, that there, there would have been things that you would have learned where you would have first looked at it and thought, God, I'm never going to be able to do that. 
and then you can put a sack on your head and uh you know and and do it in 30 seconds you know and that sounds really bad <laughs> i'm talking about dismantling and putting together weapons you know yeah so that was that was what was in my head from from my uh own experiences you know is is the the blind uh dismantling and putting back putting the stuff together again learning lines was like that for me it's just like first of all it was intimidating especially when you get um pages and pages of dialogue you know but but everything is shot in blocks so you don't have to learn the whole um script it's nice to to know the whole script and and read through it and become familiar with it um from a performance perspective with your character work so that you know um how you're going to feel at certain times but and uh you know the, the the subtleties and nuances you can kind of put in there or start thinking about but learning lines was tough and has become easier over the years but i'm sure that as my years advance it's going to become tougher again because i've i've heard that you know from some of the older actors um that they've had to use different techniques because they just can't retain it in their memory like they used to so um they've had like earplugs in or stuff you know stuff like that with people saying the lines to them before they deliver it but um you know i'm talking i'm talking people of uh, advanced years that are, that are still doing a, a bloody good job uh, and, it, and it was interesting to find out what techniques they had because when you watch them performing after you've i'm not going to say any names because um you know this was a, a private conversation with uh, somebody that i was working with but when you watch them performing you can't you can't see it so as long as they're still delivering their job and doing their job and they're capable of doing their job, no matter how what techniques they're using to achieve that storytelling mode. So what it's like, you know. Uh, so, so but uh, yeah. So I'm probably at the peak of learning lines now. I don't have a problem with it. And but the next thing is the the downward decline where I'm, you know, having to write them on my hand or something. You know. So so if yeah, you ever see me acting or doing that, you'll know what I'm doing. You know. Yeah. So yeah. I, I, that was the um. I don't want to say shame, but that was a sort of downfall of Parkinson, wasn't it? it? Was you could see when he couldn't remember his questions, and he and there was obviously a screen that they put on the floor. Yeah. So every time he, you know, his guest is speaking, he's he's looking down like that to read the next question. And yeah, yes, yeah. There's a lot of that you can get. You can get stuff like you know I can't remember what they're called actually because I, I don't use them, but where the words just scroll up and and stuff. So there's there's bits and pieces, but obviously um, that's not what uh, most filmmakers would like or or need but if if somebody's got so much kudos like uh in the industry then um you know directors and filmmakers will just put up with anything to employ them because there's a uh, you know there's a there's a lot of um yeah a lot of different egos in in the film industry and, and stuff like that and a lot of different type behavior types you know mm. i uh, i tend to try and behave myself so but um but I, I also engage my mouth before my brain sometimes so i have to i have to I have to watch myself as well so but and when it comes down to um the strictness of the script or the tightness of it some uh filmmakers really like it when you they they'll give you um freedom to play with the character you know because you end up knowing the character more than they do because it Originally, the writers have, have written um, some. Some people write something that they would describe as a guide to the character, and they're happy 
with the actor then going on to embellish you know which which is what i like to do with some of the the badder type characters you know the the nasty guys because um i'm I'm quite method as well so i tend to let a little bit of that character inhabit me and i enjoy doing that um apart from when it gives me ptsd <laughs> so that's the danger of that i suppose um like when you end up taking your work home with you and you didn't really mean to so um but some of them are so strict they have um a script supervisor who we literally or most of them do have a script supervisor they'll analyze every word and it, it won't be the director if you've messed up on one tiny word it'll be the script supervisor that comes over and just whispers in your ear or it depending on the script supervisor a nice one will come and whisper in your ear so one that's not so um what's what's the word Sen- doesn't have as good Sensitive. bedside manner will show it across the studio at you and so you're like what oh thanks in front of everyone <laughs> it's like you know it's like yeah George you fucked up again so um but I think uh, my favorite is somewhere in between I like to know that they've got my back the script supervisors but also like to um and I don't do this often but if you've got if, if you're in um that mode and you, you know, you really know your character, you really know how you want to portray him and, and the director and writers are happy with your portrayal of that. There's sometimes in a scene where you're like, oh, what character wouldn't, wouldn't do that? He wouldn't put up with that. He wouldn't be stood there silent. So, um, and it's really nice when you can say to a writer, you know, and as long as you're not being a twat and doing it all the time, you know, trying to change every scene, inside but just occasionally there'll be something where you're like oh i wouldn't i wouldn't do that or i wouldn't say that or i would be saying something right now or that would make me feel this way so i'd react in that way and it is it is nice to have that um flexibility to be able to just have a quiet word with the the writer and director and say oh look do you know what there's no way that this guy with the temper he's got would stand there and take that without actually getting back in their face or doing something. And, uh, and it's, yeah. it's nice to have um, the backup of, uh, of people, you know, cause it's, it's a bit scary to say that as an actor sometimes to, especially with a big director and a big writer. Uh, cause you don't want to, you don't want to um, stick out and be known as, Oh, that, that guy is always trying to like, you know, change my, my writing and shit like that, you know, cause some writers are really precious of this stuff, but, I'm all about the story. That's that's all I care about. It's got nothing to do with giving me a few extra seconds or minutes on camera, like or writing an extra scene just for me or any of that crap. It's just it's the story. So, um, and that's how I work. You know, it's it's like you know I want to create the most believable story with the the bunch of people that I'm working with, and that that's all it's about. I don't want. To, anything to drag people out of that story i want to you know create something kind of compelling and stuff like that so so yeah it is super strict sometimes and other times it's completely flexible Mm. like working with martin uh, webster is um he's completely flexible he he knows what my skill set is and he'll he'll write um fantastic little bits and pieces for me and then uh he'll be like but he he likes what what i do so you know for instance, there's a there's a continuity piece that is like almost like an Easter egg, but um, because the in penitent because there uh, there's not a lot of blood shown, 
uh, my character smokes cigarettes. And if you notice, like whenever he's smoking a cigarette, he's, he's rolling up a cigarette. And whenever he does something nasty or he's about to do something nasty, he's smoking a cigarette. And then there's one scene where as I'm rolling up, there's blood all over my hands. So I'm smoking a, a white and red roll up, you know, that is stained with the blood of someone who's just killed. It's just uh, little on. things like that. that. That was me. And I just like the contrast of the red and white and that, the, you know, the fact that he's got blood on his hands. So, um, so yeah, that's, and, and then Martin picked up on that of the, the cigarette piece because when someone was waiting to go into a meeting, one of the other characters, he sparked up a cigarette and I, I knew it was because of me smoking. I was like, that, that would have been, because he, he filmed that when I wasn't there. And uh, and I like I really like that because he picked up on my you know idea and then mirrored it. I like I like mirroring in in movies. So um, you know things you know characters mirroring or, or a storyline mirroring or you know an action and reaction and stuff like that and, and little 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 Easter eggs in in films that are, you know you might only pick up on a second or third time or you might not pick up at all. But uh, but yeah, I like the subtle nuances of of, of movie making. So. Oh, my favourite is the is the scene changes in um, Highlander, where one minute he's in the lake and it, and it goes down underwater, and then it happens, <laughs> yeah, and then yeah, it, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I remembered that vividly. I was worried then because I've watched it for a, year, a long time, but uh, yeah, I love that movie. Uh, yeah, and it cuts to his apartment in New York, and it's a fit, and he comes up in the, and it's the fish tank. Yeah, and it's got it's just so so. Clever. No, it's bloody clever stuff. Like I, I want to watch it again now. So I had a huge poster on my wall of a Highlander. So um, I've got uh, I think uh, I think I've got some past life experiences like uh, life and drawn as well. <laughs> so. Yes. How is it then when you film scenes out of the time sequence? Is 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 that just something as a professional you just you just do it because you're acting or? Yeah. Is it nice to do them in sequence? Um, it is lovely to do them in sequence, but you don't often get that um, that luxury. Um, so yeah, it does it does weird you out because you have to be like, it's not it's not a. I think for me personally, it's it's how I felt at that particular point. So it's all about feeling. It's like right, what's happened if I'm if I'm filming a scene, you know, like two episodes in the future. It's like right. How am I going to feel? What's happened? And that, but but you also have to look at all the other cast members, especially on a, a you know a thing with lots of characters, and go right. How does he feel about that person? That person? That person? That person? So that you you know you've got that that continuity of emotion still there. And I think that's that's the thing that's most difficult. So um, I don't know. I don't know how other people deal with it because I'm not other people. But um, I maybe I'm overthinking. But because I'm so uh, respectful of the story. I just want to make sure that I'm reacting to everybody correctly based on the timeline, you know, of, of where it's at. So I could close my curtains so that you could see. So I'm not yeah, getting you might want to draw. You might want to draw them a bit. Um, but they're all, they're appalling. <laughs> I won't, uh, we don't care about that. We draw our strength from the universe on this podcast and not, not the curtains. Go. I hope that was a that was a there we go a gratuitous a good yeah. shot of you me. Gone, so your your hair's yeah. gone a, a deeper shade of of red now, yeah. proper proper yeah. Viking. A bit Procol Harm. 
Um, yeah, on the subject of films, what what's been your inspiration? What one? What 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 are your favourite films? Oh my god, I like. Um, I'm very much into the Coen Brothers movies, um, and I'm very much into like Tarantino esque stuff. You know, um, I like complex characters. So and looking like I do, I I play. I am a character actor, so I've kept this look now for 12 years because I don't get boring jobs. I don't get the office worker job, you know, and stuff stuff like that. So I, I get, I get you know, much more fun stuff. So um, I really love, like, stuff like Fargo, the movie and the, and the series. Mm. Um, oh, Brother, Where Art Thou is absolutely fantastic. So, you know, um, obviously Pulp Fiction and stuff like that. Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, absolutely phenomenal. So I like, yeah, I like, I like complex characters, and I like, um, I like really, really clever um, dialogues, you know. So and yeah, yeah. So but yeah, but yeah. Res Reservoir Dogs had a good dialogue, didn't it? Oh, it's fantastic. I went to the cinema to watch that, so yeah. I, I remember it vividly. Like, I think that was one of the first movies that I saw. Um, when I when I moved to Devon, so I went up to Exeter, and it was like a proper day out, yeah. You know, because living on on the south coast, and it was it's like one of them times where you, I, you didn't get tend, tend to go to the cinema much, you know. So when you did, it was a, it was a thing, you know. So it's like you know, we, I think we we were taking things like that for for granted um, pre you know two years ago. Yeah. Oh, and very much. Uh, you know, because it's. Uh, because it's all there, but I haven't been to the cinema in such a long time, apart from watching uh, film premieres and and stuff like that. But that's a much more smaller, intimate uh, thing, you know. Can I tell you so, my Reservoir Dog story? Go on then. It's a short one. Um, You've got two ears, so I'm assuming you're all right. Yes. <laughs> at this moment in time. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I rocked up at the cinema uh, back when it came out, and, and we were all going to watch, I don't know, it was something like Lassie the movie or something really, really benign. Um, might have been Superman or something, right? And the cube was around the block. Yeah. And then, then the um, cinema attendant came out and went, sorry, folks, cinema's full. Um, we've got Reservoir, Re this new film, Reservoir Dogs, showing if anyone's in. So the whole queue went into Reservoir Dogs. <laughs> Thinking, you know, they were all set up for watching, I don't know, Bambi or so, what, what, whatever it was. I kind of would have loved that, mm. like, but I didn't know anything about Reservoir Dogs or Tarantino at the time. So I, I'm someone that doesn't, I don't, I don't like watching movie trailers. I like just going in fresh. So that would have been, that would have been totally my thing. I would yeah, have absolutely loved but it. I tell you. Jules, you've never seen so many people stand up and walk out of a cinema in your life. <laughs> <laughs> Especially when he starts cutting his ear off. Everyone's like, this ain't Bambi. <laughs> oh, man. I've been desensitised, I think. Um, I think we all have, because stuff has got gorier and gorier and gorier, and everyone just sits through it, you know? It's like, um, take um, Walking Dead, for instance. You know, it's like, we're, we're watching bodies getting torn in half and like guts exploding everywhere. That would have made me want to puke when I was a teenager, you know, but now I'll just, I can, I can eat my, eat my dinner whilst watching it, you know, and not, not be bothered. 
So I've gone the other way, funny enough, because I'm I'm getting quite spiritual in my old age, and my body physically reacts differently to that stuff now. Right. Like I can't. I I, I choose not to watch horrors because I just think there's so much like lovely stuff to you know. I'm not. I'm not. It's not that I'm soft or anything. It's just um I I don't want to see children getting out and you know I mean yeah yeah I just, it depends on the on the subject you know yeah. myself, you I mean, know so yeah I, I'm I'm with you on that one. It's, it's so. just funny. It's just something's like changed inside me. That's or, or, or in different in, in penitent because it was part of the you know the whole film hinged on on a scene like that, didn't it? Yeah. But when it's just a film that's just dedicated to being nasty, I'm just like, man, but I'm a bit done with all that stuff now. Yeah. 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 That's why I like, I like dialogue driven stuff. You know, it's, uh, it's like, there is a lot of violence in the, in the movies that I, that I watch, but it's, it's based around dialogue and the, and the violence is necessary. It's not, it's not gratuitous. Mm. So, you know, it's like, but yeah, me putting together a list of films, would be would be tricky you know because I, I like so much you know but i do like i do like time periods as well i very much like that late 80s time period you know so you know with with, with stuff like that with highlander and blade runner and and things like that so first blood, first blood? yeah wow <laughs> yeah probably one of my favorite i like first blood i, I like the film the beach because i absolutely loved the book and i was yeah that's a fantastic movie traveling in thailand at the time what one question i've always wanted to ask in the original vikings with um travis fimmel obviously yeah why did they adopt the accent that they did i mean i've lived in scandinavia for four years and um obviously diff, you know there's different time period but um when they speak in english like oh hello it's like this Dancy like the 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 the, the, yeah. the the scientists on the Muppet Show, but the Travis Fimmel adopted it was a it was genius. This real like, and he's moving his eyes. He's got these really sort of what we call in the Marine scary eyes. Um, what was there any reason for? Were they trying to be period, or did they just go with this slightly different version of the? Of a Norse accent, um, I think because the cast are international, so you've got um, you know lots of different people from lots of different countries. So I think they may have adopted a, a faux Scandi accent so that everybody could do it. Yeah. So and maybe the only people that were insulted were people from those native countries having to do a faux version of their own accent you know so but then that's like you know if you're from the areas where we were born you know doing like over the top cockney yeah you know? of course so um and i think also um what happens with the american market is the uh that <laughs> they want everything to be understandable in in the state so so they might have just made made the uh, accent a little bit um, softer so that it could be understood to to you know uh, the USA and and non-English speakers you know so which which might have struggled with that accent but I, I mean personally I love the accent in um, oh God the the Norseman have you seen that 
I have that stars. Um... Oh no, no, the TV series, the comedy. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I thought you meant that film, and it had the star from that football um, hooligan film. That was it. Green, 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 Green Street. Yeah. Green was it. Green Street. Um, yeah. Oh, a really, really good actor. I've been. Chat, I was actually chatting with him on Twitter at one stage. Le- leave art? No, oh, I can't remember. P- apologies, but uh, it will come to me. Yes, yeah, we'll have to Google it now. Yeah, but no, he did a film called, I'm pretty sure it's called The Norseman, and he had a starring role in it. Um, I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to. You need to watch, you need to watch the, uh, the, the, the comedy stuff. Norseman, it's, it's, it's on Netflix. It's really funny. I'm, I'm going to write it down. That, yeah, it's not child friendly at all. <laughs> okay. And what about, um, uh, what? But you'll what? like their accents because it's very sing songy. So. I guess Green Street's not coming up for some reason. It was called Green Street. something hooligans, wasn't it? Green, yeah. Yeah, but that's a later one, 2009. Ah. This was the one it starred Matey, who got allegedly got out of the industry because he said, the, well, let's just say he thought there's some kiddie stuff in, 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 in we're talking Hollywood now. In, in, yeah. Um, what's the chap's name? It was in The Hobbit. Um, can't remember. Oh, yeah, I know. But, um, but yeah, his face. <laughs> Leo, Leo, isn't it? His name's Leo. Um, can't remember his surname, but he was played a blinder in that football film. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sorry, we're going off track, but what? Sorry, how, how is it? Um, just for those of us that or that haven't experienced it, how is it rocking up on set and you got like an iconic figure there from you know British film or American TV or whatever it might be. It, do they tend to be normal? Are they? Do you, do you get some prima donnas? Yeah, everyone's everyone's different, you know. Uh, everyone's completely different. So I've had some some people that are, it's like you your insta friends, you know, and other people are a little bit more standoffish. So, um, but yeah, I worked with talking of Reservoir Dogs. I worked with um, Steve Basimi, um, uh, Mr. Pink. So. And that was, uh, what was that, two years ago now? I did an American TV show called Miracle Workers. And uh, and Daniel Radcliffe as well, who's uh, obviously like Harry Potter. And uh, and I just, I had a riot. It was awesome. So um, Dan's amazing to watch. He's one of these guys you asked about um, scripts and things like that. I think he's the sort of character actor or that, that can literally, he has the, the skills. But he, I mean, he's 20 years younger than me, probably. So um, but he, I can imagine that he knows the entire script for the entire season, you know, mm. like, you know, not just, he doesn't just know that block of scenes. I, I, I you know, I, I reckon he's got that sort of brain that would just retain the entire thing, you know, As Steve Buscemi was um, too, too cool for school really. So he was pretty, he was pretty laid back. He just, na- he just nailed his part. And I was just like thinking, Oh my God, like, you know, it's, it's like Steve Buscemi is like in one of my favorite movies, a big Lebowski, you know? And oh like my that. God, what a film. What a, yeah, I love it. Classics. Yeah, that's, I mean, I kind of, yeah, I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a big fan of the dude. But, and, yes, uh, massively. And um, I remember Steve Buscemi being interviewed. I don't know if it was a, if it was the film Meteor. Ast- the, there was 
I can't remember. It was a film where they went up to an asteroid and they had to. They were drill. They were oil drillers and they had to drill into it to save the planet. It was. So, it, it might have been that. It might have been the um, Nicholas Cage one where the the, the Con Air. But the interviewer said, "So, Steve, um, you know, I bet you like really do a lot of research before these films, and you know, they get in in in, in into character and, and and learn the script." And he said, "Oh, oh yeah, yeah oh yeah, m- months, months, and <laughs> you're not given months. You're not given months. No." You so tell it, just it depends on, on the project and well. how big you are as an actor, I suppose. You know, it's like some people would be um, tied in months before, but it, it doesn't happen often. But it has it has happened to me um, recently. I've been tied into a, a couple of films uh, that don't start filming for like eighteen months. It's like, you know, so it, you know they've really you know they, my name's tied to the production and it. You know, but this is really, really early on in in pre-production. But the, the thing is, it's like if you if well, if I was to invest a lot of my time in researching the character and blah 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 blah, like by the time we get to filming, you know, the the script might have changed and the character might have changed anyway. So you have to just be versatile, and and just be able to just just crack on with whatever because it's like um I've you know I've I've done that before, spent loads of time learning the lines like you know and stressing out about a huge block of dialogue that i've got like even the night before the shoot and i'm like i'm still not off book but and you kind of panic but as soon as you get on set and you're there it's like you realize that you you've gone through it so many times it's in your muscle memory Mm. so um as in your mental memory so you know and um i used to be a, a drum teacher so, and uh, if there was a certain rhythm or a certain song, I'd, you know, I'd say that you, you've got to play it at least 36 times to lodge it, lodge it in your muscle memory before you can then, you know, so, and I, I use, I use that as a, as a, as a guide to learning scripts as well. It's like, uh, you know, it's like, so I, I know I'm not, you know, lodging it in my actual muscles, I'm lodging it in my brain, but then some of the, the scenes might be physical so you've got movement to go with that as well and you know so which is another thing on top of talking you've got to move so like, what you know it's like but uh especially with like complicated fight scenes with dialogue in between you've got a lot to remember mm. so and uh, on that i forgot the original question <laughs> yeah no i was going to come on to what what's it actually like being on set and i guess different productions have a different budget and a different sort of standard of um, um, comfort or VIP service. What, what, can you give us an idea about that? I mean, do you, do you just, just would, I don't know, would, oh, oh by the way, guys, it, it, it Leo Gregory um, would love to chat with him on the podcast. And it was Elijah Wood were the names, my uh, grey man. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah, I had the same problem. I could see his face. I, I, I love Elijah Wood's work, but uh, yeah. We're talking about so much. It's like yes. other things get pushed out your brain. I'm yes. like Homer Simpson. You push one bit of info in, it pushes something else out. So you know. I mean, I'll give you like an example. My friend was was starred, not starred, but he had a role in um, Saving Private Ryan. Right. And I was chatting to him, and he said one of the like the leading act, you know, one of the ones the cameras on. All he's, he said he was just high on coke all all the time. That and I just get this image of like, what do you have like your trailer 
Is this, is this guy going <laughs> back, having a beer, snorting a few lines, you know, reading it? Just how does yeah, it? Yeah, I've not, I've, I've been on over 150 sets and, uh, and I've never seen cocaine on the, on the, you know, lifts of craft services. Like, you know, you'd be lucky if you get like uh, a decent, sandwich. decent cup of coffee. You know, no, the catering's fantastic on on movies. Like, you know, I don't work for the pay; I just work for the food. You know, but uh, yeah, but but personally, I'm I'm not a coke user, <clears throat> so that wouldn't excite me. Um, it would it would it would amuse me. So yeah, well, we had the producer of um, Dukes of Hazard on the show. Yeah, it's one of my favourite series as a kid. Yeah, I love that. It's great. Yeah. And but it all came out that. A lot of that went on with the cast and crew. It, it, you don't realise that when you was it ten years old or something. You yeah, watch. I've no doubt. I mean, the thing is, um, American productions that that some of the you know their shooting regimes are brutal. <clears throat> so you need something to to keep you awake. So I suppose that's just you know some people's weapon of choice, but not mm. mine personally. But what, I mean, what, they could what? you know work in like seventeen hours, you know. So what do you do? Do you have like a like a cafe? Is I mean, if you're in the middle of nowhere, do they bring a caravan? Yeah, yeah. So they'll bring like uh, craft services, like a coffee truck and stuff like that. So, and I don't have um, caffeine um, much at all. So I'll have um, you know two or three cups of tea a week um, and stuff like that. So if I need it, I'll, I'll have like um, you know. A, a really good coffee from the coffee truck and it'll work, you know, because I don't do caffeine. So well, um, why don't you do caffeine? That sounds, uh, it's just a life, just a lifestyle choice. You know, it's like, um, I know I, it's, it, but it's good to know because I don't do it when I actually do need to pick me up. Mm. Coffee just literally sends me through the roof. Yeah. <clears throat> so, which is great. So, cause I did a shoot in um, Milan this year and their coffee over there is crazy. Uh, I'd ask for a, a, a shot of coffee and they'd bring me over a little cup with like that much in it. And I'm like, what's that? And so, you know, that's how they drink it. So, but I, I wanted, to, I like to quaff things, you know, it's like, so I, I want to actually be able to go with a coffee rather than like, and uh, so I'd be, I'd be having four of these shots and they were looking at me like I was crazy. And it's like, you know, and they were like, each one of those shots is like, has four, cups worth of caffeine in it it's like super strong espresso stuff so but um, but the, the you know the shooting days were like 18 hours and it's like you've still if you've got to maintain a level of um you know performance and energy you know when you might have been filming at like 6 a.m and then it's like it's it's like you know 9 p.m at night and you've still got to perform with that same you know energy it's that's it's tricky, and that's 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 why I don't. One of the reasons why I don't do caffeine, so I can guarantee that it works, and it keeps me from sniffing all that free coke, you know. <laughs> that's always kicking around on film sets. That's yeah. that's a joke. That's a joke. By the way. Yes, got you, got you. It, it, <laughs> Just in case. No, I mean this is the, this is the thing about the modern day, as opposed to probably the seventies or whatever. Is 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 artists are in incredibly professional aren't they they have to be to survive i mean you you it's a bit like all the old dance djs the the ones that survive the ones that kept going from you know summer of love in 89 and are still going today 
they're the all the ones that knocks it all on the head. Yeah, you know, because you you you, you can't you can't function, you know, you can't function as a professional. You can't you can for a honeymoon period, and then it all it all um, starts going wrong. As um, my buddy Brandon Block would would uh, would uh, back me up on. We've gone a bit peak Tom. Yeah, exactly. Yes, yes. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, I've seen, I've seen some amusing things on set, but personally, I like to um, stay sharp. You know, so caffeine, caffeine's my dirty drug mm. when I'm when I'm on on a film set, and that's about it. Like, you know, maybe maybe an occasional biscuit. So, Fisherman's Sorry. Friends, then, and just another great, great film filmed in Cornwall. Um, I did have. I was looking at the the. Um, so this chap, he's he's made a bit of a name. Daniel Mays, isn't it? Has made a bit of a name. For yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a good guy, actually. He was fun to work with. Yes, and there you are alongside him on our IMDb. That that's a great. That's a that's just that's just brilliant. Yeah, I love it. I, I love it. I, I like um, IMDb is weird because it's like top of the pops. So uh, you, your world ranking goes up. Or down depending on like their logarithms how many times you were clicked on on imdb or how many times your your name was typed into google mm-hmm. so uh, every monday they reset the charts and you either get a like um a little green box at the top of your name or a little red box depending on whether you've gone up or down so i do oh, wow. sadly look at that and uh and you can tell when a production's looking at you um because your imdb imdb ranking goes through the roof one week like and you're like, oh, I've gone up like twenty five thousand in a week, which is unprecedented. And you're like, well, that means something's coming, because there's numerous people on the production constantly looking at you or typing your name in on the internet, see what your internet presence is and stuff like that. So that's happened to me this week actually. So something, this something big this so week comes <laughs> after after I have my start my my I almost said starring role then, but it is to me my role in um, Martin's next film. Can I, can I have an eye? Can I have yeah, of course you can, man. Of course you can. This, is, this, this could be the start of another journey for you. You could have been in uh, Penitent. You would have played one of my boys perfectly, mate. You would have, yes. you would have been great. So, yes. And the thing is, you've got the, you've got the military experience. And I think part of the, uh, the joy or of, of, of Penitent and part of the, the realism is the fact that um, 50% of those people that were you know, playing the squaddies and stuff like that, you know, were military, ex-military. So they added an element of realism. And Martin was very, um, very sure of what he wanted. Like, you know, for instance, the uh, the actual um, machine gun sounds and, and stuff like that, you know, mm-hmm. so the, you know, the gunfire sounds were yes. real. Uh, so they weren't Hollywood sounds. So the Hollywood uh, gunfire sounds, I mean, you know yourself, uh, they don't sound like, you know, that that real that that pop and like ping when you get like, ping. but it, you know that they, but that real guns, real gunfire doesn't sound interesting enough, you know, to be in Hollywood movies. Yes, but, but Martin wanted real gunfire sounds, so you, that's that's what you've got on Penitent. I really liked, yeah. I really liked that attention to detail. I thought it was great. I didn't like to but, tell him that when I do, um my editing i i just i just download them off the net and they're really good 
<laughs> I know Martin went to an actual rifle range, didn't he? And they recorded yeah. it and they got the, but, but, but when I'm doing an overlay for, I, I can't think what, what have I done now? Like say I'm, I'm chatting to someone who's been in the Falklands and you might be able to get some, some foot, you, you can get some footage from somewhere, but it's not, you know, there's like a shot going off here, a shot, you can actually download machine gun and get it in here yeah. and you can get some lights flashing on it. And, it, and it, it's just incredible what you can do now. Um, yes, just amazing. And also, um, what was I going to say? Um, I chatted to Lee, is um, Lee the guy that did all the music? Yeah, is it Lee oh. Groves? Yeah, Lee Groves. We had a great chat the other day. Um, Incredible soundtrack, but we're getting off the topic. We're talking about Fisherman's Friends, weren't we? Yeah, yeah. We keep, we keep, we're, uh, we keep getting back to it. Did back they have any in that pub? Was that real beer? Or... No, no. So I think I've only, I think I've only done one shoot where that, that you know, um, the the taps were live, as in they had live taps, which was really interesting. So. And they was they were saying, oh, the taps are live. They got real beer because they kept handing out like fake beer in, in the bottles and stuff. And some people were taking advantage of it. And uh, and they were saying, oh, Jules, just like you know, because it was a real banging scene as well. And uh, and this was on uh, Fortitude actually, uh, the TV show. So I did a couple of seasons of that. And then then somebody was like, oh my god, they've actually got real beer in in the pumps, you know. So some people were getting pissed, but it was one of those jump around moshy scenes it was quite funny anyway and uh so it was good to keep the energy up but i was, I had to drive back to you know devon at the time and uh so like, i'm not drinking that stuff because the uh the fake stuff really makes you burp it's horrible it tastes disgusting and it's just like and it's really really gassy so it's like uh you know but uh but yeah it would be nice but that's what uh after parties are for so uh. But uh, but me and Daniel sunk a few at the um, at the uh, after party for uh, the premiere actually for Fisherman's Friends. So it was down here. They had um, they had the boss of uh, St Austell Breweries down for the premiere, and he had uh, I think it was tribute tribute like, yeah. on 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 tap. So it was all all free. So that was some of the best food as well that I'd had at a rat pie ever because it was all local produced. You know, like really artisan, like fish and chips and stuff like that. Real, real pasties and that stuff. So it was absolutely phenomenal. Like you know, just um, good traditional Cornish food at uh, premiere. So and uh, yeah, me and me and Danny um, shared a few pasties and shared a few beers. So I was introduced to the boss of St Ossel um, Breweries like earlier on, and uh, like you know prior to the premiere and stuff like that. So and he, he he'd laid on free tribute for the for the night basically as as much as we could drink and then then later on i stood at the bar um uh, having another pint of tribute i'd had a few by them and there was a guy um ordering you know other other beers and bits and pieces and i was like why are you spending all that money i'm like you could just drink tribute it's completely free and he went uh no not to me it isn't i'm i own the breweries and it was this, it was the same bloke that I'd been introduced to earlier as the boss of St. Austin Breweries. And I was telling him to stop buying drinks, just drink, drink that stuff because it's free. Like, you know, but I managed to blag it and went, Yeah, of course. I know, I know you are. You I was introduced to you earlier because it suddenly clicked in. I was like, oh shit. 
he was introducing me earlier. So and I went, yeah, I was just, I was just joking, mate. I know you are. Mm. Like, yeah. And then I, I turned around to with my other probably two pints of tribute and just uh, waddled off. And then I've got um, an amazing hit thing happened because they, the the actual band Fisherman's Friends were there. So and they were they were singing for us. It was absolutely phenomenal. So two of the guys in the scene with me that are sat at the table with me before I get up to to try and fight Jago, uh, they uh, they're actually two of the guys from the band. So so they weren't actors. It was fantastic. So I was having a good crack with them. But um, then one of the producers said, "Oh, we've got uh, some of the actors here. Can we get the get them on stage singing with the Fisherman's Friends?" So so me and Danny and a, a few others that were there, we ended up on stage you know, singing to two or three of their songs. And we kind of, you know, picked up, um, I was listening to the soundtrack in my car for a while. It was absolutely fantastic. One of their albums or two of their albums actually. And uh, because I, you know, it's, it's one of those things that I didn't do much filming on it, but I just be, I just really loved the idea that the fact that there's something to Port Isaac that isn't just uh, Dot Mine, you know? So, uh, but yeah, I, re I really enjoyed it. It was. I'm just gutted that I've never seen any of the videos because people were recording on their phones of me singing oh. with Fisherman's Friends. That would have been great. They're out there somewhere. But I've never seen them. You know, I had my first ever childhood holiday in Port Isaac. Yeah, yeah. My friend's family booked a like a room down or a you know what book something down, but a little cottage or something. And and it might uh, have been might have been Dot Mines cottage. Yeah, uh, possibly. Affordable, I, then. <laughs> I do remember there was a sign over a road and it said, this is the, I think it was the nar narrowest road in the UK. Yeah. It's this tiny little road. Maybe you can get a bicycle down it or something. Uh, logistically, it's, it's bloody crazy filming in Port Isaac, especially when you're filming Dot Mine, because um, there's so many fans of the show. I mean, you know, it's been going for years. I think I've been working on it now for a decade. Um so, and and you, you're trying to get, you, you, you know, your, your unit cars down through these tiny little streets and there's hundreds of people just lining the streets, just hoping to get a glimpse of, you know, uh, of Doc, you know, of Martin. And uh, yeah, it's, um, it's weird. So I, I, you know, they're, and they're all filming and stuff like that. So if I'm ever working on it, I go out and film the crowd and I'm like, you know, how do you like it then? You know, what's so, uh, what's it like working with Martin Clunes then? He's a riot. Yeah, um, he's got a really good sense of humour, and uh, and the thing is, it's it's his show, isn't it? So it's like, um, so it's it's just another day at the office for him. He's he's just so laid back. So there was a there's a scene once where I find a, a you know a really ill person on the beach, and I'm, I'm I drag him up to the you know the the doc's house and it's really early in the morning because i'm a i'm a fisherman in the show and uh fisherman tom so so i'm, I'm knocking on his door to, to wake him up and he's he's got a dressing gown and pajamas on like you know whatever because it's really early so uh so there, so there's one scene that i think the first time i knocked on the door he literally opened the door and he had his dressing gown and he just went we're morning and i'm <laughs> and it just put me off so much that I fluffed my lines on the next take. So I had a brain fart because I was expecting him to do something stupid. So, um, <laughs> so that was that. 
So I remember him saying to me, because um, I, I didn't, I, I still got my lines out, but I, I was literally having a, having a moment. So I was stuttering my lines. So they, they were kind of stammered and they weren't at the pace that they were meant to be. And I remember going, yes, Jules, uh, just like that, but faster. And I went, what's well, your fault? Like, I was expecting you to do something stupid. You just flashed me. You know, it's like, so what else do you do? There's another scene in a doctor's surgery where we had a real baby on set, like swaddled, and he, he doesn't like babies. So, uh, and then, but the baby could only work for X amount of time because he's a baby and they got really strict rules with how long a baby can can be on set for. Like, I, I think it might be something crazy, like half an hour, which is completely fair. And uh, so for the rest of the time, you know, because the scenes take a long time. They they had one of these fake babies that look quite disturbingly real. I don't like them. They're creepy. So uh, so they've got a fake baby wrapped up. And they, these things, these fake babies are worth thousands and thousands of pounds because they, they do look real. You know, that obviously they're made for the film industry and, and everything else. So they, they cost a lot, a lot of money. So there's, a, there's just a bit where I think he just done enough. And he's got, he's got a, a quirky sense of humour. So, and at one point, like, um, I'm, I, I say, I'll, I'll take the baby. Like, because he doesn't want to be left with it, you know, and he's, he's asking, and he, and he just kind of looks at me because I'm wearing all my fishman stuff, and he's like, no, you know. But then as they went cut, he, he literally threw the baby at me over his shoulder, and I'm like, whoa. So, like, and it's just just stupid stuff. So, he's, um, yeah, he's a good laugh to work with and a good laugh to drink with afterwards at the, at the season wrap parties. So... More free tribute, I think. Yes, and um, Exile, isn't it? That that's that's yep. going to be Martin's upcoming. Yeah, we're working on that currently. So yeah, that's uh, that's good. So what, as a what role have you got in that? I <laughs> so I'm playing El Diablo. So so basically, I'm I'm playing Lucifer. Oh wow! Oh, it's ginger that version. It's that deep, is it? Yes. Yes. I'm apparently I'm playing someone dying on the battlefield. Well, it's, 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 well, we won't won't be me, me killing you, but I could make an appearance. Yes. So. Oh my gosh. So is that is that your upcoming project, or have you got more to do? Oh well, there's lots um, coming up for me. So, um, but yeah, we're we're working on that. I don't know when my scenes will be. Probably not till next year now, but. Um, but we'll see. It, it depends on the mood and stuff like that because um, a lot of the scenes are outdoors and uh, we're not afraid of a bit of weather down here. So, so it all depends on, uh, you know, whether he wants, whether he wants sunshine or cloud or whatever, because we're approaching, you know, it's, it's autumn now, sadly. Um, and uh, so, so yeah, that that's upcoming, but I've got some other bits and pieces that I'm kind of not, not allowed to talk about. And some, I've, yeah, a big uh, Hollywood thing just um, contacted me to say that I'm I'm penciled, which basically means I could have it or I might not have it. So I've auditioned, and uh, and they could I could literally have a message on my phone now saying, "Oh, you got the job," or you might have a meeting with the director, or you've been released. Normally, when you're penciled for a big product like that, it means they've got two people that they really like, and they're like the you know all the decision makers are, are making a decision but it's it's exciting to get uh penciled uh for a production but i don't get excited really until i'm in the costume i'm on the set 
and I hear the words action. That's when I really go, oh, this is real now, you know? Uh, got you. So, so I, I try, I try not to think about stuff like, like that or get excited. It's like, I do my auditions, I do my work and, uh, you know, I have my projects that I'm signed to that are up and coming, but uh, there's a lot of logistical things that could go wrong between this stage in the journey and that stage where I'm in costume with other actors and we're going to make something It's like, you know, so I'm pretty laid back because you have to be, because this uh, industry has a huge amount of rejection in it, you know? So you have to, you have to learn uh, to deal with rejection and also be deal with being kicked in the bollocks, you know, cause it does that a lot as well. You know, you could, you could get some thing and then get, you know, that the product that the production might get cut you might get cut you know it's like you can't feel precious about anything because you don't own the words that were written and you don't own the character all you can do is do the best job you can and hope that you make the final cut you know so there's been a, a few uh projects i've done that where i haven't so we so you invest time and uh you know and and you know emotional stuff with with your performances and your delivery but at the end of the day, I'm just an actor. I don't, I don't own anything. I just hope that my performance is good enough to make that final cut, and that I'm, I'm, um, you know, an important part of whatever the story is that we're telling. Have you spent much time in Hollywood? Is that? Yeah, I was, I was in LA uh, pre-COVID actually, and uh, I came back because I was nervous of uh, healthcare costs. Uh, over there because I, I had like um, so I was in Los Angeles for like three months and I only had three months of um, healthcare cover and then when COVID hit and uh, I was over there and getting quotes for extending healthcare cover and I just thought no nah, I think this is serious now it's going to shut down the whole film system which it did so I decided to come back um, to the UK because we have the fantastic NHS uh, you know, which doesn't cost you $3 million if you become ill, you know, and, and go into hospital for a week, you know, so, uh, so as much as we, um, uh, you know, the, the British public feel about the NHS, it's only when you're in another country without it, that you realize it's actually really, really important. And it's, it's a privilege to have, you know, it's mm. like, you know, and we should support it a lot more than uh, I think we do. You know, because I think a lot of a lot of Brits take it for granted. You know, yeah. um, but we got to we got to preserve it at all costs. You know, everyone should have, um, yeah, you know, the right right to health healthcare. In, in yeah, a, I think it's just... about 15, 15 grand uh, a year for healthcare in the states or something. Mm. So I mean, don't don't quote me on that, but that was that was the sort of prices I was getting quoted, um, and and you know, and when you if you know there might be a time when you're you know, you have periods of, um, with my work, it's it's uh, famine or feast. And if, if you're on famine, you might not have 15 grand kicking around just to pay out for, you know, an insurance. That's what all it is, it's uh, health insurance. It's weird having to deal with insurance brokers in, in the States as well um, to sell you healthcare. It's like, we're used to it with car insurance and house insurance and all that stuff. But, but insurance brokers for your health, it's quite surreal. You know, uh, they have different levels of cover as well. You know, it's like, so you have like bronze, silver, uh, gold, platinum. And it's, uh, it's just, 
it's crazy that you have to make those decisions based on what might happen to you with your health or your family or, or whatever, you know? So, um, exactly. so yeah. So, so yeah, I've, I, I love it. Um, over there. I love the States. Um, but I'm not in a rush to go anywhere right now with the state of, um, you know, COVID. I know, we, I know we don't particularly want to discuss it, but it has affected everything. Uh, you know, I'm working in the film industry under, you know, uh, during COVID and having a dedicated COVID team and having to have two COVID tests uh, a week and everyone's like faced up and they're spraying everything with crazy chemical that, that lasts for, you know, it kills the germs. You know, they're, they're spraying floors, ceilings, door handles, everything. Um, on, on Vikings, I think they were they were spraying this, this thing, spraying the whole offices and, and sets and stuff. I think they were spraying it once a fortnight, although the chemical lasted uh, a month, you know, so they're, they're being ultra, ultra careful. But it makes, it did make at the time, you know, the really big crowd scenes quite unnerving um, because all of the actors are, are being like really careful and stuff like that. But, you, you know, uh, you don't know if like the 300 extras are being careful as well. You know, it's like, or, or what they're doing when they're not working when they're not working you know uh and stuff like that. so it was it was quite unnerving it's okay on the smaller scenes because we all the actors knew each other we were we were one bubble you know so yeah, we knew like that. that we were taking our tests and taking and in being really careful i mean we weren't allowed to meet in groups of more than six i think so you know so all the protection was put in place and even in taxis um, so we all had to have masks on. We weren't let to weren't let to sit next to each other or anything like that. It was um, very surreal um, filming experience. Yes, I bet. Jules, listen, this has been absolutely fascinating. Thanks so much for coming on the show and um, enlightening us all to uh, both your skills and and experiences and and the acting world in general. Um, I look forward to seeing you at some point in the future. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we're not a million miles away. No, 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 we're not. So we might catch up for a social, but I'm sure me, you and Martin between, between now and um, now in exile. No, I'm always um, up for that. Always up but, for that. Um, I, I can give you some tips on how to play a dying man or a, or a corpse. Please do. <laughs> yes. I'm a lifelong learner. I, 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 I'll um, be very pleased about that. Mate, this could open new doors for you. Mm. it's like you know it's, oh, it's well, like... well i have you know i did hear brad pitt is um he's a bit unnerved now and that's really weird that you should uh you should uh that you should mention that because i just had him in my head there you like, go. so uh, because i was uh, i was thinking about go. um the first big hollywood thing i did was with brad brad pitt so i was thinking about that when you said his name so uh, we've already got that spiritual connection going on there so you know fantastic it's, it's good so, all right, Chris, it's lovely to meet you, mate. Yeah, stay on the line so I can just thank you properly when I hit the record off. But, Jules, wish you all the success in the world and thank you for your um, commitment to the craft. Um, for, for film lovers like me, it's, it's um, yeah, it's one of, the, one of the good things in my life. We'll put your social media below the video, so um, if you just want to send me that, I know we're on Twitter together. Um, and come back and tell us how Vikings Valhalla works out that that's uh, i look forward to watching that 
Yeah, yeah, I'm excited. I'm hoping it's early 2022. I think everyone is. They've already put a teaser uh, thing saying coming soon on Netflix. So oh, they've already brilliant. put a teaser trailer on there. So just to generate excitement. And um, I've seen um, uh, a fair bit of the footage because I had to go in and do some um, uh, ADR, which is, you know, uh, some of the voice work for, for their accent scenes and stuff on the boats where they couldn't quite pick up the dialogue. So I've seen the scenes. They look fucking amazing. <laughs> so it's, uh, I think uh, people are really going to love it. Excellent. Excellent. And to all our friends at home, please look after yourselves. If you can like and subscribe, that would be wonderful. Share this video. Uh, much love to you all. And we'll see you soon. Friends, thank you for listening to the Bought the T-Shirt podcast. Please like, subscribe and share. And don't forget to follow me on social media. Username, Chris Thrall. Instagram, Chris Dot through. Thank you.